Welcome to the Maritime Podcast. You're listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News, and today we're in conversation with Mark O'Neill, president of Ship Managers Association Intermanager and president and CEO of Columbia Ship Management. Mark, it's a pleasure to have you with us, and welcome to the Maritime Podcast. Pleasure to be with you, Marcus. Just by way of introduction for our listeners, could you explain a little bit to the audience why it's so important to have an organization like Intermanager to represent ship managers and that portion of the industry? Yeah, good question. I think ship managers are increasingly important in the maritime sector. At the moment, I think there is something like 25% of the world fleet that is technically managed by ship managers, but over 90% of all crew are employed by or and or managed by ship managers. So very, very important that ship managers have an association and not just an association, but a strong association to represent them and indeed to voice their opinions and experience in the wider sector. And I think the importance of having an association is that we are thereby able to represent our members' interests and speak up on issues which affect ship managers, but also the wider shipping sector. It's important also, I think, to recognise, Marcus, that, and this was a point that was made to me when the IMO Secretary General Kaitak Lim visited our offices in Cyprus, our Columbia offices in Cyprus, and said to us, look, you know, ship managers have to engage more in the IMO process and make their voice more heard because they have the widest possible experience in this industry. There is no other operator that manages all types of vessels and sees the landscape in the way that the larger ship managers do across the sector. So really, really important that our experiences taken into consideration when the international shipping bodies meet and that our opinions are recorded. So really, really important. And of course, you know, again, as I said at the outset, we represent 25% of world tonnage is technically managed by ship managers. We want to extend that. We want to attack the 75% that still doesn't get it or still doesn't see the, uh, I think, compelling reasons for third party management or second party management, as I prefer to call it. So very, very important that we have an association, very, very important that that association is a strong association, which, of course, is why I'm trying to increase the membership and include those companies which are not yet members of the association. It's very interesting what you said there about the breadth of what you represent and the uniqueness of that with ship managers that you represent all different types of fleets. And also from the crew management perspective, you know, the vast majority of crew are sourced by and employed through third party managers, you know, and that's really, really important when you look at the challenges of the industry at the moment and the difficulties that lie ahead for the shipping sector overall, that ship managers play an important part. I can definitely see that. Now, you were elected into this role in December last year. Is that correct? Yeah. So that's about six months ago. What are you looking to achieve as president of Intermanager? And what are your objectives? To be frank, Intermanager uh, six months ago represented a small percentage or a smaller percentage of 
the international ship managers. And one of my primary focuses, the reason, if you like, I agreed to go for the job was that we were or we had to increase the membership and not just the membership of the bigger players, but the membership of the medium and the smaller side and the associate members, the suppliers, because any supplier can become an associate member of intermanager, which is really, really important. It's really important that this is a broad church representing not just the larger players, but the medium and the smaller players, and that we encourage associate membership as much as possible. That not not only, of course, increases the money in the coffers, which allows us to do things and be more effective, but it also encompasses and allows us to hear the different voices within the industry, which are really, really important. So increasing membership was an important mandate of mine. And I'm happy to say that we've had four really large members join us on the back of the manifesto that we put forward. Now, the manifesto was that we would take a much more active role in the international shipping bodies and that we would introduce a standard. It's really, really important that we as an association have a standard which is not there to be exclusive, but is there to be inclusive and to encourage the industry as a whole to raise its standards because that benefits our clients uh, and it also benefits our, our, our organizations. At the moment, there is no industry standard for managers, anybody can manage a bulk carrier or a container vessel, which to me seems uh, a crazy concept. Um, But we have to have uh, a standard and that standard has to be inclusive. So it's not just what I call the big boys who can benefit from that standard because they have the resources to deploy, but also the smaller players that have an important part in this industry. There is always a room for niche players and that this standard can be aspirational and is not prescriptive. So it's not a box ticking exercise, you're either in or you're out, but it's aspirational. If you show willingness to improve in this area or that area, you are part of the association just as much as if you're already achieved the standards that we set. So raising standards and raising the membership were two key provisions of certainly my sort of manifesto to the extent there was a manifesto of of coming into the job because I think we need to be a broad church and and that's where we're going and it's certainly been welcomed some of the bigger managers and indeed medium and smaller size that previously weren't members have now joined on the basis that we fulfill our promises and that we bring in this standard and that's what we want to do by the end of summer we want to have a standard in place that benefits us that is inclusive, that is aspirational, and that our clients value and support, and thereby we raise the whole industry standard and get away from this perception, wrongly, I believe, but there is certainly an element of the industry that is, if you use the word cowboy, cautious to do that, but is operates at a, a less than satisfactory standard. It's great to hear about those new members. I am, though, a little bit surprised to hear what you said as I felt the profile and professionalism of third-party ship management sector seemed to have grown a lot over the last 20 years. Talking about those standards, maybe you can tell our listeners about the top issues facing intermanager at the moment. You know, I, I'm a firm believer of whatever business you're in, you have to be client-facing, and your client's problems, therefore your problems, and, and, and the sector's problems at the moment is uh, very much or are very much crew rotations and the whole issue of vaccination, which is, I think they're interrelated to a point. I think the vaccination issue is exacerbating the, the crew rotation issue, and, and I think we are 
as I've sort of discussed with with others in the in the in the recent past, we are coming to a crisis point where you know particularly in light of what is happening in India, if that situation is replicated and replicated in a sector of this business crewing, which is already strained and was strained prior to COVID, the wheels are, are rapidly going to come off the trolley or the, the propellers are going to come off uh, the vessels in the same analogy. So I think we have to, you know, we have to really address this and key worker status is obviously one of the, the ways of addressing this, but actually implementing key worker status in the jurisdictions in which have recognized seafarers as key workers is another factor. It's all well and good saying, yes, we recognize, but what practical steps are you taking to ensure that crew have key worker status and have the freedoms of transport? Because we're not seeing that. I believe that if the situation in India is not resolved quickly, or if it spreads to another key jurisdiction from which we source the majority of our pools, let's say that the situation exacerbates in the Philippines, then people are going to rapidly see vessels coming to a grinding halt simply because we haven't got sufficiently qualified crew to man the vessels. As an organization such as Columbia, uh, with the technology and resources we have to bring, we, we bring to bear, the problem is tough enough. I, I, I hate to think what the smaller organizations and operators uh, have had to go through during the, the recent crisis. This situation is obviously not new. It's been going on for over a year now. Do you think some sort of complacency crept in towards the back end of last year when things seemed to get a bit better? I don't think anybody's been complacent. I think as a business, we've shown ourselves to be remarkably resilient in the face of this crisis. I don't think there's any other industry sector that has reacted better or been more adaptive. I think the original problem was that of crew rotations. And, you know, I always remind people it's not just the crew on board that have undergone these stresses and strains. It's also the crewing departments of the managers and operators uh, having to deal with the frustrations of having a crew rotation fixed only for it to be uh, changed and thrown into the air uh, in, in the last moment. So huge stresses and strains. We learned from that. We became leaner. We became meaner. And I, what, what I've called sort of battled hardened. There's no doubt our crewing departments, if I look at our own my own company, our crewing departments are incredibly efficient uh, at dealing with the pressures and the strains that are being thrown up. What we've now got, though, is a resurgence, whether it's the third wave or the fourth wave, plus a vaccine issue. And it's a sad truism that the vast majority of our seafarers come from poorer countries that are unfortunately the bottom of the vaccine food chain. So by the time, if we rely solely on those countries' own vaccination programs, then it is a fact that our seafarers will not be vaccinated until late 2022. That has huge implications on world trade. You know, I always remind people this, and, and I'm not alone in this, I hasten to add, this whole crisis has been bearable simply because there hasn't been an interruption in the delivery of goods to shelves, foodstuffs to shelves, uh, luxury items to shelves. We've all been able to go shopping. We've all been able to order from Amazon and, and have our deliveries. Just imagine what this crisis would have been like if there had been that interruption. Well, we're getting there and people don't seem to appreciate this, but we are getting to that point just when we think the light at the end of the tunnel is not only there, but glowing brightly, uh, that the wheels uh, will come off unless action is taken. At the, and we're talking about 1.7 million people who need to be vaccinated. That's a very, very small number of people disproportionate to the chaos that can result if that 
that small number of people is not vaccinated. And he's not a huge logistic problem to resolve with the correct minds applied to it. The vaccines are there in certain jurisdictions, have surplus vaccines. The hubs are there, the maritime hubs, which we could set up very quickly as vaccination centres. And uh, this problem could be resolved for the benefit of everybody. When I used the word complacency there, I wasn't really referring to the industry itself, but I'm more talking about the international level and the people who perhaps can make this happen. Those vaccinations for 1.7 million seafarers. One of the steps that we've taken is to talk regularly to the IMO in answer to the Secretary General's request that we do so. We found, I have to say, through no criticism of the IMO, we found it particularly frustrating exercise because all UN and UN-related bodies have a political minefield to negotiate and, and through which to manoeuvre. So the IMO is neutered because it can't do anything without the sanction and blessing of the WHO, which can't do anything without the blessing of some other UN authority, etc., etc., etc. So if you think Europe, and I'm speaking as a supporter of the EU, but if you think Europe is riddled with bureaucracy and perhaps neutered by bureaucracy, then you get, when you go to the UN, you're going to even further, you're, you're a step up on that. So it's very, very difficult to get these organizations to prioritize seafarers over and above national interests. And the sad reality is that you cannot yet purchase these vaccines on the commercial market. You have to go through a COVAX scheme or a, a, a government-sponsored scheme. Uh, the uh, vaccine producers will not sell them to you unless you go through an authorized uh, governmental scheme. Then you have to have the money and then you have to have a government that is willing to take the step to support. Now, most governments are bound by whether it's the EU or whether it's the UN or, or being good citizens within those organizations. So very few will take the step and say, yeah, I'll help uh, and I will do this because that would be seen to be stepping out of line with a, uh, with a, a whole host of other le legitimate considerations. So it is very, very frustrating. I, I personally believe that uh, the UK is probably best placed, both in terms of stocks of available vaccines, um, but also in, in relation to its ambitions to be a global trade um, champion and for global Britain to say, yes, 1.7 million is, is, uh, is not going to uh, hit our um, reserves and far uh, to the contrary, it's going to be sending out a very positive message and preserve world trade. Uh, that would be the solution. But we are um, battling through the red tape and uh, the bureaucracy as we speak. And, you know, hopefully something will come of it. It sounds like an incredibly frustrating situation. And obviously you are making reference there to the fact that you have actually sourced, I believe, one million shots of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So sort of sometimes, uh, with all the best intentions, uh, the, the stories come out slightly skewed. We have uh, Intermanager resolved uh, through its executive committee to take steps by itself to try and solve this problem, but also importantly support other organisations in their efforts. So we were, in a sense, the maverick, but also supporting the other org organisations because we are able to shake uh, just as ably and perhaps more efficiently certain trees and, and rattle cages than these other organisations were within their constraints of their UN-related dialogues. 
Uh, and therefore, we did source one million Johnson and Johnson vaccines. But unfortunately, very much a moving target. You need to have full alignment between the supplier, the government willing to sponsor that, and then the money. And uh, in our naivety at that stage, we believed that sourcing was the problem. And once we had sourced the vaccines, of course, we we, we then had huge difficulty in the second piece, which was getting the governmental authorization. By the time we had that, and we have a number of governments now, or governmental institutions who are willing to support, of course, the, the supply slipped away. But you have to have a, a complete alignment of the three stars, money, governmental authorization and supplier. And that's what we're working on now. So the good thing is that we are making headway. And you know, I've always said to the membership, it doesn't matter whether we intermanager uh, are the the knights uh, to the rescue and and uh, manage to resolve this what matters is that we try our best and that we seem to be trying our best and uh, the more voices that are raised the more trees that are shaken cages rattled the more that eventually governments will listen and try to resolve this problem so everybody is going in the right direction and nobody needs to take credit for this the, the most important thing is that the solution is achieved and that our crews of all companies and and uh, uh, of all operators are, are vaccinated just as quickly as possible. Totally understood it's for the good of the wider industry and the global economy. You seem quite hopeful in the UK. Would that be a fair summation? I'm optimistic by nature. And I think, you know, we're seeing now at the G7, Boris Johnson will be, uh, you know, making uh, various announcements on the importance of trade and the economies getting back and vaccines and countries using their excess supplies of vaccines. Once you have that declaration, it is easier for the UK to move because there is the blessing of the G7 and he's got he's got a reference point. So I'm hopeful that a country can free itself of these peripheral considerations and just take this step because, you know, it is for the benefit of all countries. I spent half my life in Cyprus and although Cyprus is bats at a level disproportionate to its size, sometimes on many, many issues, unfortunately, I think it is constrained within the EU to taking a step that it would otherwise want to take. But we're seeing lots of countries allowing vaccinations of vessels as they come into jurisdictions, even of seafarers that are not on those countries flagged vessels and international seafarers. So, you know, we, we, we're seeing gradual cracks appearing uh, for the good uh, in this um, otherwise very bureaucratic and, 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 and rigid system, which is, which is a positive. That definitely is good news. And we are seeing that in some US ports, for example, aren't we? Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we're also seeing some managers privately sourcing vaccines for their own seafarers. Is that correct? And, you know, we've done that ourselves. Colombia have done that simply because we always try and look ahead. And we saw the whole vaccine issue as a potentially extremely febrile environment in the future where it's the haves and the have nots. And it's great to work as a team. It's great to collective action is always better. But when a collective action runs into the sort of bureaucracy that we're talking about, we've been talking about before, you have to also have a backup. And certainly uh, we have that backup uh, and so do other. Uh, other of the larger managers and, and operators, we're not alone in that. You can source vaccines through COVAX setups legitimately. And of course, those vaccines have to not only be 
purchased legitimately and allocated legitimately they have to be applied legitimately so there are restrictions and you know when i say yes we've all we, we've uh, we've sourced uh, these vaccines of course it is dependent on those jurisdictions from which we've sourced getting their vaccines in the first place so in very simple terms when a government such as the philippines makes an order it adds an additional amount on for organizations that support the placing of that order and guarantee that the price will be paid so yes we we've done that others have done that too whether we get the vaccines in the end it, it remains to be seen the point is we have to try and i think it won't be too long before vaccines become more available of course and this is something we raised at the last intermanager meeting this is only part of the problem one of our vessels called into the us recently and none of the crew were willing to be vaccinated we we can't forget this issue that one cannot compel seafarers one cannot compel any employee or or individual to be vaccinated and a large proportion particularly of the younger generation of which seafarers that make up the majority will choose not to be vaccinated people have to start thinking about what the future looks like towards the end of this year into next year where probably getting on for a half of our seafarers still won't be vaccinated by choice whatever happens whatever trees we shake or cages we rattle there there has to be a functioning maritime sector where a large proportion of the seafarers choose well within their rights not to be vaccinated so all of the pcr testing the precautions etc cetera, etc cetera, will have to remain in place and well oiled and well rehearsed despite vaccination vaccination is not the only solution to this situation i must admit i'm a little bit surprised by that you would have thought that those people on the front line would want to be vaccinated we encourage our seafarers to be vaccinated and of course we do i encourage my own children to be uh, vaccinated but people are entitled to their own opinions and uh, you know, I, I think when you look at your organisations uh, ashore as well, you will find that broadly speaking, just over 50% of individuals will choose to be vaccinated. It's not much more than that, surprisingly. Um, but that situation is reflected on board the vessels as well. These are not these 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 vessel communities are no different from those communities ashore. That very much makes sense. With that coalescence you've just described, an unwillingness to be vaccinated, the variants and so forth, are we really looking at a point where ships really might stop trading? You know, what people have to understand is that, uh, you know, we're not dealing here with simply put anybody on board a vessel. It's fine. It's not just a numbers game. As you know, when you have container vessels or bulk carriers, much, much easier to find crew for those vessels properly trained crew. When you have tankers, there are all sorts of other issues, which is partly comes back to my standards point. You know, just anybody can't manage a tanker vessel. Just anybody can't be a crew on board a tanker vessel. There are all sorts of qualifications and regulations that have to be complied with and matrix compliance. So when you have a crew ready for takeover in the Philippines and one person of that crew tests positive, that whole crew has to be changed because it affects the matrix balance and compliance within the rotating crew. And that's the problem. And you had a situation where the supply of crew internationally was already strained before COVID. We weren't doing enough, which is one of the issues you're going to come on to, but we weren't doing enough as an industry, as a sector, 
to encourage more people to come into this business. And uh, now we've had this uh, wrecking ball come through the sector and we have to try to properly rotate and man our vessels with qualified crew. Huge strains on an already hugely strained system. Actually, with that scenario you just painted there, where one person tests positive and that really takes out the whole crew, does that see a situation where some ships are simply forced to lay up for a while while crews are replaced? We're not there yet, but you play this through. And we are certainly seeing across the industry more vessels experiencing COVID on board, despite huge steps and huge cost being incurred in preventing that. We are now seeing larger numbers of COVID cases on board. When you have a rotation crew come into its quarantine hotels and we have quarantine hotels around the world where, where, where the crew sit for 14 days before they come board. When they come into those hotels, it only takes one positive to rule out the entire crew rotation because what you have to then do is move that the, the, the 13, let's say there's 14 crew members, you move the 13 into a, a secondary hotel while you watch to see whether any symptoms manifest themselves. Do you know what? It's much easier just to actually take a whole new rotation and slot that into place because otherwise you get secondary and tertiary uh, 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 steps having to be taken and it becomes, the whole situation becomes unmanageable. But uh, you have a group of people and one person uh, tests positive that has huge ramifications on those other people for a period of time and, until they can be reconfirmed as negative. That sounds like a logistical nightmare, especially as you say you need people with specialised skills for different vessels and so forth. Is part of the whole situation here the lack of influence of shipping in the global sphere? Does shipping need a stronger voice? This is my sort of pet subject, I think. And, and uh, you know, when I was in the army years ago and I used to sit around a dinner table and tell people about the army, people used to look at me as though I'd just arrived from Mars. You know, no one knew anything about the army, although I, I thought that uh, everybody did and that everybody was interested in, in the fact that I was an army officer. Unless these institutions have a direct impact upon you. It's of no interest. My children know nothing about shipping. Their friends know nothing about shipping. They don't even contemplate over 90% of all goods are borne by vessels between the trading nations. They have no idea. Certainly, the prospects of a, a career in shipping are as remote as, a, as becoming an astronaut. You know, they just have no information about the shipping sector and the wonderful opportunities to young people that that sector uh, can afford, whether it be in finance, whether it be in law, whether it be on board, whether it be ashore, whether it be in technology and software, logistics, etc. So none of this is known. And we are all to blame there because the majority of our PR is within the sector. So all of the different industry associations will happily produce videos and discussions and conferences amongst themselves, but are not outward looking. You know, we have no outward voice. And, you know, our only outward voice, arguably, is uh, the IMO and, and uh, other sort of UN type uh, institutions that have a minuscule voice within the wider picture and have to kowtow, if I say kowtow, or play ball with the other wider bureaucratic landscape. So I think the sector really does have to combine and focus more outwardly rather than just inwardly uh, and really combine its resources and not insubstantial resources in an extensive PR campaign globally and amongst the younger generation too, so that we encourage seafarers to come into the business, but we encourage other 
people to come into the business at the various different levels and in the different sectors within the, 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 the shipping sector. Is that something you actually see any progress on? Once we sort of come to terms with the standard uh, as intermanager and uh, membership, then, you know, this is certainly something that we want. You know, BIMCO produced a fantastic video recently, uh, but who saw it? Uh, no, just just a, a small fraction of uh, perhaps shipping executives, dare I say, not even not even the the, the, the wider uh, shipping community ashore. And everyone was cock a hoops about it. Fantastic. What if that had been put on national television? What if that had been put on breakfast television and, and the wider populace had seen that suddenly there would be an awareness and appreciation of the importance of shipping to us all? When I spoke to BIMCO, produce something for the outside world of consumption because it's a quality production. And if we do that, then we'll awaken an interest in shipping as, a, as an industry. I'm sure that's something as an industry we'd all love to see. I think ironically, the industry has had a bit more publicity over the last year. And most of it hasn't been particularly positive in terms of the crew rotation crisis, which has made it onto the likes of the BBC, for example. What does this do in terms of attracting people to the industry? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when you look at the shipping industry, it's a, it, it's it's not just shipping, is it? You know, I think again, sometimes the uh, within our sector, we have this uh, over glamorous impression of ourselves and the importance of ourselves. We are just a component part in the overall logistics chains. Arguably, we're no more uh, important than uh, haulage or rail or, or, or aviation. Uh, why, why, do we, why do we consider ourselves more important? But we are a very important part of that. And within our industry, there are all sorts of different sectors. We're at the forefront of, uh, of IT and IT solutions. We're at the forefront of environmental uh, technology and, and 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 recyclables. You know, we're at the forefront of uh, finance, of uh, uh, of law. I mean, all contract law, uh, certainly UK contract law, started with shipping. And and you know, I, I think you know that we shouldn't underestimate our importance in the uh, you know in the wider industrial scene and environment. So let's talk about that. Let's let's advertise that, and I think you will get very able people coming into the industry at all levels in all in all of the, the various areas. Just looking at the current situation as a manager and other managers in into manager, how do you maintain morale amongst your crew? Before COVID started, Columbia, uh, I think, was the first manager to start a twenty four seven mental health helpline and and that was you know we had a sad situation on board one of our vessels and i saw the importance of affording mental health support having gone through my own military career and needing mental health support at a particular time in that i realized that actually as, as a sector we were very much behind some other industry sectors ashore in looking at the whole mental health issue. But there is a bigger issue. And when we started this, we realized that some of the crew felt invisible. And this invisibility topic came up time and time again. There were our people within our offices, there were our clients, and then there were the crew on board. And we only really concerned ourselves with the people on board when something went wrong. We rarely even told them when something went well. And this overriding feeling of invisibility permeated throughout the sector. I think what COVID did really well, one of the positives of COVID is that we realised that people are 
of fundamental importance, not only to our personal lives, but also to our business lives. And that if you look after your people, the business will take care of itself. What have we done? We've better communicated with our crews. We've better identified with our crews. All of our directors in Colombia call the vessels on a regular basis. You know, that wasn't necessarily happening or to the, the, the frequency that it is now. I do uh, weekly videos to the crew. I call up vessels when they do well. I call up vessels when they do badly uh, on inspections. You know, human resource management was a, a, an alien concept to uh, the shipping sector in the same way as it is a highly sophisticated concept ashore. Uh, most business sectors have, you know, human resource management is vitally important. Shipping lagged behind that, both ashore and on board the vessels. Now we're catching up and we're catching up quickly and we have to. This industry has to treat its crew and its people ashore as an asset on its balance sheets rather than, you know, necessarily as an expense on the profit and loss. Uh, you know, and if we do that, if we look at our people and value our people ashore and on board, identify and communicate, then the morale issue disappears. The morale on board our vessels has never been higher despite COVID. You know, that is a fact. Our rotations as a company were well, well, well below what was being reported in the press because we we're going that extra mile, that extra 10 miles to achieve that and ensure that the crew were properly identified, communicated with and looked after. And that's vital. And that's looking after your people and all of the other quality organizations, big, medium, small, would be doing the same thing. It's actually good to know something positive has come out of this situation in terms of how the industry manages its people. We went into this crisis as a business not wanting to be defined by COVID, and we certainly haven't been, and the business has progressed, and that many of the weaknesses of our business have been resolved because of COVID, because we've had time to properly focus on these points and, and, and resolve them in a sensitive, intelligent, uh, and considerate way. And, you know, we're not alone in that. Everybody has realized how important our people are to us. And, and, you know, before COVID, it was all about technology, wasn't it? Technology, this digitalization. Now it's all about people, you know, and digitalization and technology are tools to enhance our people's performance. They're never going to replace our people. And COVID's taught us that. So, you know, I think COVID, it won't all be negatives that when, when we look back, there'll be a lot of positives to be drawn from the last year and year and a half. It's interesting. At the start of this podcast, you were talking about creating new standards. I was thinking, it's a difficult time to be doing that. But in a sense, it sounds like it fits in, in that all this gives you time to look at things. Yeah, absolutely. And standards are nothing to be shy of. Why wouldn't you support the initiative to bring standards into the industry and raise the standards. Why wouldn't you do that? There's no downside to this. There is nothing to fear. You know, what is it? There's nothing to fear except fear itself. As long as they're inclusive, as long as they're not prescriptive, as long as they're not, you know, seeking to put some above others, then there's absolutely nothing to fear. And uh, quite the reverse will improve as a whole industry and persuade, again, coming back to where I started, that 75% of the shipping sector that's not yet persuaded on the, on the merits of uh, third second party management then but that's how we do it great i think that's wrapped things up to where we started mark o'neill i'd just like to thank you for taking the time to join us today on the maritime podcast thanks marcus